0: The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at WRCC.org. So, good morning, everybody. I'm Fred Nolan, your pastors, and you, uh, I got some great news today. Finally, after two years of not being able to take international mission trips, we had 20 t- 22 people that showed up in the parking lot at uh, about 2 2.30 a.m. on Saturday to the beautiful snowfall of uh, late March as sleet was coming down. They're getting ready to head out to Panama. And they are worshiping in a church in Boquete, Panama today. And uh, that's been a DNA and and an important part of White River for decades. And it's so exciting to get back out there. I wish I could be with them. I miss being with them. But um, let's just thank God for for getting us back out in the international mission field. So excited for them to get back out there. It's a motley crew. There should be a, a picture of them. There they are. Look at that crew. DJ Barnett is our technical arts director and uh, also the leader of that team, along with Chuck Goodrich. And he's done, DJ's done an awesome job putting those details together and has really uh, helped us out to make that a reality. So we're thankful for that. Let's go ahead and uh, pray for them right now. And uh, we'll pray as we get ready to get into God's Word. You guys, bow your heads with me, please. Great and good Heavenly Father, I thank you and uh, I praise you that um, we're able to, to go back over the ocean, dear God, overseas, and uh, bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that uh, you've created us to share the good news with our family, with our neighbors, um, with our community, but also across the ocean to the ends of the earth. And uh, some of the places where they'll be, Lord, are um, National Geographic-style, ends of the earth kind of places. And I thank you for them being willing to to take the risk to share the name of Jesus Christ, of of the great I Am. Father, keep them safe, and uh, I pray that you use them as they expand the school that uh, children that go to that school <clears throat> will not only hear of you, Lord, they'll commit their hearts to you, and uh, that they'll be going out and reaching their own people. I pray for those that are involved in Vacation Bible School, God, that they would hear the good news in an exciting way of um, how Jesus Christ can change their lives now in uh, today's world, Lord, and help them through difficulty, but also um, give them an eternity that, that's unmatched. Father, thank you for the privilege and the honor of teaching your word today. Lord, do um, not worthy to stand here today with your word and and share this with these good people, but you are, and you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. So I pray that you just allow the name of Jesus Christ to be lifted up today in a powerful way. Lord, uh, help me not to get in the way. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would simply be pleasing to you. Praise all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to start off by just letting you know that I've had the privilege of going to Panama a few times myself, and in um, uh, some of those trips, they go across the bay to kind of an island region, and uh, they used to go across this bay in, um, in, a, in a boat. Uh, it's more like an enlarged dugout canoe. There, there's a picture of that, and it's, it's almost big enough to keep the waves out most of the time when you're going across, but uh, it's fine it's fine. It's kind of like the movie Italian Job, fine, if you've ever seen that. It causes you to, to feel freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. You're fine. So uh, on one of those trips, I had the privilege of going across on a beautiful, sunny day. The water was nice and smooth, went across, up the river, and literally, as I prayed, some of these places, it really is right out of National Geographic. You go up these rivers, and, and Juan, who passed away, um, Recently, and in the last, would have been a year, year and a half, uh, he was a leader for about three decades. And he had a saying, he would just go up the rivers until he found people. He would tell them about Jesus. He would go up roads until the road ended and he started walking and he would bring them Jesus. And so that's what we did. We're going up this river and there's little huts and, and we had talked to some people and the clouds started kind of rolling in. You know, the wind started picking up a little bit. And there started to rain and, and some of the natives started getting a little bit nervous. Our boat driver got a little nervous. And it's typical for there to be a a storm kind of whip up in the afternoon. So we headed back and and got in the boat, and sure enough, it was raining, and we're going across this this bay, and and the waves are kind of lapping into the boat. I was in that boat with three or four other pastors, and we had our our trash bags that someone had thankfully taken, and we're covered in that. I I had a bag on my head, a a little bit like like this right here, but I remember that at the time, I still had my aviator sunglasses on, and uh, I just remember... Um, looking over, I think it was Rod Idol was one of the other pastors in there. And for those of you that, that don't know this about me, it's, it's a little scary, but I have kind of this military, heroic, like wannabe fantasy, Jason Bourne kind of world inside of me. And so I leaned over at him and I just said, right now, I'm a Navy SEAL. <laughs> so that's never going to happen. I could, never, I could never handle the training. I would never make it. I would ring the bell for sure to get out of that. But so we went across... And uh, we we did make, the good news is that they don't use those boats anymore. Um, So they're bigger boats, they're safer, the water doesn't lap inside, so that's a good thing. Uh, DJ Barnett, the leader of this trip, he told a story at a recent meeting with this Panama team, and it was a story relayed by Dan Crosley, who used to be the missions pastor here for years. He started back in January of 99, I started in November of 99, so every time I had a challenge in ministry, I'd call Dan Crosley, those of you that knew him, amazing pastor, he passed away about four and a half years ago, he's with Jesus now, and uh, we try to do our very best to make Dan proud in the way that we're doing international missions, because he was just phenomenal. Well, Dan told the story of one of these boats going across the bay, and uh, it ran into some trouble, and it wasn't a storm, wasn't just waves, but it... it started slowing down and and almost getting stuck a couple times, and there was some spirited conversation between Dan and the driver, and no one else in the boat understood the way that I heard the story. And, you know, the other gringos were called on the mission trip, kind of shrugging their shoulders, and finally the boat stopped. More spirited conversation. And then Dan, the way he always would, very calmly, when the guys asked him, what's he saying? What do we need to do? He said, we need to get out of the boat. And they're in the middle of this bay and they're stuck on a sandbar. So he's not happy with this driver who can navigate where he needed to go. They had to get out of the boat to release some of the weight and get it off the sandbar and, and, and get it moving across the bay. So one by one, they get out, and they get back in. They did that. They got on their way. And, but that story, and, and as Dan relates it, he relates it to the story um, that we're gonna be talking about today, the miracle that we're gonna be talking about today. And as, as you hear this, you'll learn that there's multiple miracles in the story that are from different perspectives and different um, ones of the gospels. But, but also it's a story about a group of men that are in a boat, in a body of water, and they're in trouble. Now, I don't know if you're in trouble right now. Some of you, you are. Maybe you're in trouble with your spouse. Maybe you're in trouble with your children. Maybe you're in trouble because you just recently... Found out like a gentleman that came up to me after service um, that he's got a, 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 a chronic and possible terminal illness. Maybe you're in trouble because you have loved ones that don't know the Lord and that's burdening your heart. But whatever your, whatever your trouble, Jesus meets you right at your deepest point of need. So these men on the boat, his disciples, that are struggling. Many of you are familiar with the story. Jesus walks out on the water to them. But it's not just to get them out of their trouble. He doesn't just want them to have a life of ease and comfort. He wants their hearts. So he walks out there to show them who he is. And we, they continually get stuck on, on the sign and like the, 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 the wow of what's happening around us, the earthly stuff. And he continually, and that's the point of John's gospel, to point us to who he is. So he's teaching them about himself. He's teaching them that he can be trusted because Jesus is over everything. Jesus is over everything. No matter what you're going through, he's strong enough to get you through it. We're gonna be in John 6 today and we're gonna start in verse 14. If you wanna turn there with me or if you scroll there on your phone, no shame for getting your phone out in church, believe it or not, go ahead and take a look at that. Uh, We'd love for you to follow with us. And as you're looking at up, um, I want to remind you that we're in the series on miracles. And as we're talking about miracles, we're looking at miracles as signs that point the people then and point us to Jesus. They're merely signs that point us to Jesus, and they teach us about his character. They teach us more about who he is, what he can do, but more so how he can interact in our life, get us through difficulty, and uh, really just the fact that he's God. So on the same day, in the same 24-hour period, Andrew Smiley preached last week about the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, Jesus tested his disciples, and each miracle is another test, kind of increasing in intensity. But he tested the disciples and said, well, how how will we feed these people? You feed these people. Of course, they didn't know what to do. So Andrew pulled out the the Lunchable. (laughs) So basically, a boy brought up a Jewish Lunchable, right, with two fish and five loaves of bread, and Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus all the women and children. And so the people recognized, at least some of them, that something supernatural had happened. So I want to read a couple of verses that he covered, and just start from there as we launch into this other miracle of Jesus walking on the water, um, as it happened in the same 24-hour period, which is just amazing. And uh, as John says earlier, if everything... That Jesus did were written in books. The whole world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the books that would be written on what Jesus did. So here we are in John 6 verses 14 and 15. It says, When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, the feeding of the 5,000, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So surely he is the prophet. The, the Jews were looking for a prophet because a prophet was prophesied. So kudos to them for expecting what the Bible said was coming. I think so often, we don't really do that as much now. Are we really expecting Jesus to come anytime? The Bible says he's going to. Do we live within eternity consciousness? Are we aware that we transition from this life into the next life seamlessly? And do we, do we live that way? Like any day on this earth could be our last day? Do we have that kind of urgency? I think people then, they were looking for the Messiah. They were oppressed by the Romans and they were looking for the Messiah and looking for the prophet. And there's maybe a specific reason that that's attached to the feeding of the 5,000. Look with me, if you would be on the screen behind me, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. One of these prophecies of a coming prophet. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, into the wilderness. They were hungry. They needed food. So God provided manna, a type of bread that they would gather on the ground and that's what they would eat. Later they complained and and God provided quail and gave them enough meat to make them sick because that's what they were asking for. But God provided bread, manna, for his people. Well here Jesus just provided bread for all these people and they recognized something amazing happened so surely this must be a prophet. Well Jesus is a prophet, They're right. But he's so much more. They try to force him to be king. True, the Messiah was supposed to be a king. Prophet, priest, and king. So they want to make him king, but he slips away. Why? Because he's not the kind of king that they're looking for. They're looking for an earthly king. They're oppressed by the Roman Empire. And living in that oppression is is something we can't even begin to imagine. I recently talked to one of my missionary partners, Valentin, in Ukraine. He grew up going to church in southern Ukraine, which was part of the USSR. And they were taught in church not to resist, to submit to the governing authorities, so he believed that growing up in his teenage years, won't get into details, but he saw some, some pretty horrific atrocities that caused him to think, you know, we submit to the governing authorities, but when it's directly against God's will, uh, that's not something that we need to continue to do anymore. And so these Jews are living in the oppression by the Roman Empire, and they're looking for a king. Well, Jesus didn't come to be a military king. He didn't come to be a political leader. He came to be a spiritual leader. He came to be a spiritual king. He came to give us freedom from our sins and, and eternal life and bring about a different kind of change. And they weren't ready for that. They weren't looking for that. So Jesus is a king. But he's so much more than just a king. Let's look at John 6, 16 to 17. It says, that evening... Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, but as darkness fell, and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Now, I really want to be deliberate about having us look at the words of the scripture. As darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come. They got in the boat and they left. So, imagine you're Jesus, when you're with these disciples and you just fed five thousand and you're ministering to all these people. Darkness comes. And Jesus had slipped away, and they're like, ah, well, Jesus didn't come back. They got in the boat, and they left. That doesn't seem right, does it? And that's where a different perspective and a different account of the same story in Mark and Matthew can help. Because in Mark 6.45 and Matthew 14.22, it says, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. So he insisted that they get in the boat. We know that from the other accounts. So they were just being obedient. They ended up in some trouble. We'll get there in just a second. But if you ever find yourself in a difficult spot, as we all do, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are disobedient. Sometimes it is. I've definitely been in situations where I'm in a bad spot because I did something wrong. That's happened to me plenty of times. I was disobedient, and there's consequences for that. But sometimes, in this broken world, Life is just hard. Things happen to very, very good people. And we have that through God's word. Job is kind of the epitome of an example of that. And so they were being obedient, but Jesus knew his plan. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew what he was going to do, because he knew that he would do that to teach them what they need to learn, so we could talk about it today. We can learn from it as well. So let's continue reading. In John 6, uh, 18 to 20. It says, Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid. I am here. It's a strong wind, rough sea. They're out three or four miles. So this Sea of Galilee is also called the Sea of Tiberias, and it's about seven miles wide, about 13 miles, miles long. And so when darkness fell, as Andrew mentioned last week, if you were here, he talked about we we believe it's about the same time of year in this story, in that part of the world, um, as it is the time of year here. So sun goes down around eight o'clock at night, and we know again from Matthew and Mark that Jesus comes walking to him at about three A.M. So they've been rowing from eight PM to three A.M. seven hours, some scholars will say eight hours. So they've been rowing for quite a while. Now it's interesting, again, just little tidbits in, in Mark six forty eight. it says that Jesus intended to go past them. Have you ever read that? It says he intended to go past them. How does that work? He's walking on the water and they're rowing and he's just gonna walk on by and not stop? That's what it, that's what it says. Maybe he's showing them, you know, there's other needs in this world, too. There's a whole crowd waiting on the other shore, and I need to get there. And they're terrified, and, which anybody would be, right? Anybody that, in the Bible, that sees an angel, you know, Joshua falls on his face when he's exposed to an angel, and I think any one of us would, but he intended to go past them, but yet he stopped. so... In verse 29, he says, don't be afraid, I am here. And that's very intentional. Some version it says, the I am is here. So he takes it to a whole new level. He's claiming to be God. It's the first time he's claiming to be God. And when you're in a boat and it's windy and the waves are big and Jesus, who you've already seen do miracles, Is standing on the water, and he says, I am here. Pretty good evidence that something pretty powerful is going on. Again, that name of God, I want to go back to the Old Testament to show you where that comes from. In Exodus 3, verses 13 to 14, again on the screen behind me, Exodus 3, 13 to 14, it says, But Moses protested to God, actually, when God asked him to speak to Pharaoh, to the people. He said, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? What then should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you. Jesus is over everything. He is the I am, He is God. God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. Difficult test for his disciples. You know, turned water to wine and and other miracles, which is amazing. But for him to say he's God, and we have the whole story. We have all these miracles. We have his crucifixion, his resurrection. The whole thing comes together. So don't be too hard on these disciples or other people when they're scratching your head. If a person came to you, even having done these amazing things, and told you that they were God, would you believe? Well, you can see them in human form. I don't think that's as easy as what we think sitting on this side of it. Do his disciples, do they really believe it? Do you, think that, do you think the people get it? You know, there's indication that they don't because Jesus points again and again not to get hung up on those signs. Let, let me give you an illustration. Let's say my wife and I are going to plan a trip and um, so Nine months, a year before this trip to Florida, we get our kids around the, around the computer, and we're looking at different properties, and, and we see this condo with a beautiful pool, maybe with a bougie, like, waterfall on one end, and, and you know, people bringing you your drinks. We're going to walk on the beach. We're going to try and find sand dollars and, and gather shells. Maybe the cheap knows we're even gonna, like, go the extra mile and rent a jet ski or two, and, and we got all these fun, exciting things that we're gonna do with our family. They're excited, they can't wait. Well, we're making some sacrifices and time goes by and uh, they're, they're kind of losing some of the excitement. You know, they're not gonna do some of the things that they maybe wanted to do and, and so we get them back around the computer. We say, hey, remember this? This is what we're gonna do. Don't forget what a good time this is gonna be. Here's the things we're gonna to get to do. Yeah, get fired up again. Finally, we get in the car and we head down there, whole car loaded and we're, we're going down the highway and uh, we get down to where it says Florida 20 miles. And everybody cheers, we're excited, so we pull over, and my wife and I pull out our hidden tent, we set the tent up, we start unrolling the sleeping bags, and we're like, "Here we are, It's going to be awesome." And uh, of course, they're about ready to kill me. You'd think I'm out of my mind if we did that. But that's what people do. That's what we do. We look at creation, and we think, that's the thing. Look at, that's amazing, and it is. But it's a sign. The sign is not the thing. Just like the sign to Florida, that's not the thing, (laughs) you know? Getting to Florida, that's the trip, getting to the beach. But C.S. Lewis has a quote. He talks about how satisfied we are making mud pies in the slums. Hey, I got the biggest mud pie. Look at this. This is awesome. When all the while, he's got a vacation planned for us by the sea. And we get so satisfied with earthly stuff, we miss the real thing. There are many glories And God wants to reveal to us the real glory. The real thing. What is John's purpose in writing his gospel? So that you may believe. Not so that you have a life of ease. Not even so that you're impressed by the things he does. So you may believe in the person. Like we started the series out. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created through Jesus. That's what it says. Let's look at the next verse, John 6, verse 21. It says, they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Exclamation point. Wait, what? Immediately they arrived at their destination. So he got in the boat, bam, they're there. You might think, well, maybe John's exaggerating. This is the same John that when water was turned into wine, he kind of seemed to gloss over it. Like, yeah, they do whatever my son says, Mary said, and then they they have the water, they dip it out, and somewhere in the story, it turned into wine, and John says immediately, they're at their destination. So the truth is, there's several miracles in the story. In Matthew's version, Peter actually walks on the water. He sees Jesus, and he says, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to come out, and I'll walk out to you. So he does until he... Kind of freaks out and he starts to sink and Jesus pulls him up. That's not in the story of John. Why is that not in in John's story or in Mark's account of it? Well, maybe they just didn't like Peter. Maybe they're like, ah, that loudmouth, showboat. I'm not even gonna put that in the story. There's probably more to it than that, right? But we don't know. But it's not in John's account, so we're not gonna focus on it and spend a whole lot of time on it. But that's another miracle that happened. In Mark's version, in 6.51 in Mark, it says the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. So Jesus walks out to them on the water, Peter comes out, he gets in the boat, the wind stops, and then they're instantly to the other side. Now how, how, how did they get instantly, the whole boat and everything just instantly is on the shore? Are people standing on shore and all of a sudden the boat appears? You know, what, what happened? How, how exactly did it go down? Well, let me ask you this. When Jesus slipped away, when they tried to force him to be king, and the disciples left without him in the boat, what happened after that? Did you ever think about that? When you read the word of God and study it, I think he wants us to ask those questions. Did Jesus come out of the woods he slept, where he slipped away and his, his disciples had obeyed him? So then he kind of looked around, made sure no one was watching, and started walking across off the beach, and then walked for seven or eight hours and caught the boat? walking on the waves, how did that go down? Or did he just get there all of a sudden? You know, I don't really know, but this really happened. This is real, and somehow this, this is all put together. We don't know exactly how that happened. But we do know later in the book of John, in John 20, after Jesus dies, he raises from the dead, his disciples are meeting behind locked doors, and Jesus appears to them. Now, Thomas isn't with him. So then, what does Thomas say? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe it. Unless they see the scars in his hands and the, the hole in his side, you know, I'm not going to believe it. So therefore, we call Thomas, all together now, Doubting Thomas, right? Kind of gets a bad rap. Well, eight days later, the disciples are together, and Thomas is with them, and Jesus appears again to them behind locked doors. So, pretty amazing. He can do... Whatever he wants to do. Do whatever he wants to do. He, he's above time and space and matter and everything. Why? Because Jesus is over everything. He's over everything. Why are we so anxious? Why are we so, why are we so scared? Why do we think we have to handle everything on our own? when We have a God that is over absolutely everything. Let's look at verses 22 to 29. We're going to break this up a little bit, but John 6, verse 22. It says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. So the gig's kind of up. They're seeing something weird here. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there... They got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for them. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? So they're like, there was one boat. Disciples went in the boat. Jesus didn't get in the boat. Now they're all on the other side of the lake. So Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus naturally explains everything to them, right? No. He's not going to answer that question. Jesus replied in verse 27, I tell you the truth, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He knows the entire truth, and he wants to share the real truth with them, wants to share himself with them. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. You're stuck on the sign. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Again, what should you be focused on? Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So he goes right to the heart. I tell you the truth, don't be stuck on the food. Don't be stuck on the sign. He wants to make sure they don't vacation at the sign. Like, oh, the food, and, and yeah, you're a prophet. When did you get here? How did, how did the... And we would, we would all do that. I would do the same thing. But he keeps pointing them to himself. So verses 28 and 29. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. How many times does he have to say that? Over and over again, they're like... How did you get here? Just believe in me, will you? (laughs) We want to perform God's works too. We want to do some miracles. How do we do that? Here's the work you need to do. Believe in me. It's almost like he has a string on his chest. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. What part of that are you not getting? And when you see him do all this stuff, how can you not believe in who he is? Only God can do this kind of stuff. So his promises are true, what he says. But the truth is, his promises can't be true or realized in your life unless he has rule over that part of your life. Let me say that again. I don't believe his promises can be true in your life unless he has rule in that part of your life. So you, you, you want the, the peace and the, the forgiveness um, and the strength and you have to open up each part of your heart for him to rule there. Now, I'm not saying you have to have your life all together and and be perfect before he'll heal your sickness because he has rule over sickness and and he's the great physician. No, but so often we want the benefit of what we get because the I Am can do these signs, but we don't really believe in him to the point where we we give him rule over every area of our life. And, And... I don't know what that means for each one of you, but each one of you just need to search search your own hearts like I do and really ask myself, okay, what part of my heart is really not totally open to God? What part of my life do I think is this dark little locked door part that I still want this little vice or this enjoyment or or this security I get from this thing or this stuff that I really haven't given over to God? That's the part he wants So that he can have rule and truly allow us to enjoy those promises. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus over everything in your life? Is Jesus over everything in your life? We can say that Jesus is over everything. Oh yeah, he walks on water, he changes water to wine, he heals people, he's God. He was in the beginning with God, he is God. But is Jesus over everything in your life, in my life? The question, I think, 100% of the time is no, not over every part. So, what what part do we need to give him rule yet? So, as you think about rowing against the headwinds and you think about the waves, and, and what are those things in your life? What are those waves? What are the difficult areas in your life where Jesus needs to walk out on the water and meet you at your deepest point of need? Is that something you're struggling with in your work? That you're just not giving over to God completely? Is it a relationship? Maybe there's a family member that is kind of the headwinds in your life. feel like you're always fighting against that family member. Someone in your home or maybe someone outside your home or a friend, a neighbor. Forgive. Love. Love recklessly. Love unconditionally. Serve like you never have served before and honor God in that. Give him rule over that part of your life and you'll experience his promises. You know, maybe you're at a point where you're not going through a challenge right now, but you're ready to go on an adventure with God. When was the last time you really had an adventure with God? Where you, you went out on a limb or you, stuck off, you stepped off the cliff and it wouldn't work out if God didn't catch you. Where you really risked something and got uncomfortable. You know, I, I like the story of Beniah. In uh, 2 Samuel 23, it says, Benaiah was one of David's mighty men. He was one of the warriors. And it says, he chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and he killed it. And then it goes on to the next mighty warrior. Like, what, why is that in there? Mark Batterson wrote a book on it. Mayor Jensen talked about that at a State of the City address this year. He's out looking for a challenge. This warrior's like, hey, there's a lion. It's a snowy day. I don't care. I'll chase him in this pit and kill him anyway. That wasn't supposed to be a poem, but it kind of rhymed, didn't it? So are you out looking for a challenge? Are you out looking for an adventure where God has to show up to make it work for you? You know, when David came against Goliath, he said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Almighty God. David didn't take a stone to a sword fight. Goliath took a knife to a God fight. And it's no match. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what challenge you're thinking about, or maybe that's the challenge today. Maybe you should be more like Beniah, and I should be. All right, what adventure might God want me to go on? What is, I've got all these resources, and my life is just kind of a life of ease and comfort. Yeah, we all have difficulty. I get a hangnail once in a while too. What is he calling us to do as a church? You know, I think of us, this team going out to Panama, you know, it's, it's not like the epitome, but they're getting uncomfortable, you know. We're freezing here, but they're going to be hot there, hotter than, uh, than they would want to be. It's probably going to be wet and muddy. They're working hard. They're out of their comfort zone. But to get out of that comfort space and allow God to really use you in powerful ways, I believe, is what he wants to do. Jesus sacrificed everything. He sacrificed Everything came out of heaven, lived as a human. I think we could give up some things and look for that adventure, as a church. Really, come together. Maybe you want to step into some, some places that, that might not seem like much of a challenge or an adventure, but there's people that are greeting today or serving Lord's Supper. made themselves a little uncomfortable. Maybe they're uncomfortable greeting people. They get to give up extra time, coming here early, holding babies. That's a sacrifice, right? That's a challenge. Maybe reaching out to your neighbors, maybe grabbing one of these bags out of the lobby and egging your neighbors, inviting your neighbor to come to Easter by handing that bag to them with an invitation on it with your name and number and inviting them to hear about the great news of the I am that can change your lives forever. Their salvation always trumps our comfort. People's salvation and their lives being better in Jesus' name is always more important than us being comfortable, than our life being easy. What I want us to leave with is, is I want you to live like Jesus is over everything. Let's live like Jesus is over everything. What would be different if we really did that? So as we wrap this up, you start thinking about lunch. Maybe you have been thinking about lunch for a while. As you walk out these doors, let's live, really live like Jesus is over everything. You guys bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Lord, uh, I thank you for the freedom we have. We know that when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. Lord, we're free to, great, to do great things as, as individuals, as a church. Thank you, God, for where you're taking us here at White River. I pray that you continue to, to bring these pieces together as you lead us through this leadership transition. And I thank you, Father, for the way that your spirit is working in that. I pray, Father, that you help each person here, myself included, to really search our hearts. And determine where you don't have complete rule. And turn that over to you so your promises can be true. And so we can really live like Jesus is over everything. Thank you for being with us today and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.